Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Encounter Church, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your life. If you want more information about Encounter Church, please go to our website, encounterchurch.ag. Thanks again. Enjoy the message. Amen. I'll tell you what, I am so excited about today. I'm excited about what God is doing here at Encounter Church. I believe that this weekend as we venture into our community, have Family Fest here on the grounds, it's going to be a great time. But I want to take a moment before I jump into the Word of God to say thank you for each of you that are guests today. Thanks for those that are stopping by and checking things out this morning. Maybe you're watching online this morning. We are so appreciative that you've paused a moment in your social media surf to hang out with us for service. We'd love to see you in person real soon. Either campus, come hang out with us. But this morning, we're going to jump right back into the book of Romans. Uh, We've been processing through over the last 15 weeks, and it's hard to believe that we've got three Sundays left after today in this series. But we're processing through the book of Romans. We're finding out what is Paul saying to us in the Word of God, in the book of Romans, and how does that apply to our lives in 2021? You see, sometimes we get guilty of just reading the Bible for just factual information. We find out that this happened to the children of Israel or, or this went on in this area and we never really take the time to apply it to our lives. But I think that's where we, we mess up. I think that's where we fall short because the Bible and, and all of that it is from cover to cover from in the beginning to the amen, it's all about how do we live our lives today? What does it look like in 2021 to apply the good news of Jesus Christ into our lives? What does it look like to apply the words of the Bible into our lives? Well, the Bible itself says that it will illuminate the path in front of us. It'll light the way. I don't know about you, but there are a lot of times in life when it seems dim and dark around. Yeah? Anybody else ever experienced that? And and it's in those moments that I need something to illuminate the path in front of me. I don't really know which direction to go. Do I go right or do I go left? I was in Austin, Texas a couple of weeks ago. And kind of, let me pause for a moment and say, Austin is not Texas. It may be in name, but anyway, that's a whole other conversation. But I'm driving down the highway, and I'm trying to get from the airport to the place where I'm staying. And, And here in Missouri, our exit signs have like exit 72 right? That makes sense. Not in Austin. You just have a sign that says exit. So I'm trying to follow the GPS and I'm, I'm holding this thing in my hand because there's not a mount in the rental car and I'm, I'm driving and watching traffic and watching the GPS trying to figure out where I turn because I don't want to get on that road because there's a toll there and I don't want to pay $1.75. Come on, anybody else? I would rather use that for a Big Mac. Come on, somebody. Anyway, so there's no exit. I needed something to illuminate my path. So I needed Siri to tell me in 300 feet, turn right. The Bible is going to be that for us. If we will allow it to be, if we will truly apply it to our lives, if we will truly take it to heart, from beginning to end, the Word of God is applicable today just as it was then. So this morning, we're going to continue in this series that we're simply calling Breakthrough, Live by Faith, Advance with Grace. 
We're in the final stretch of all of this, the last little leg or last chunk of the book of Romans. And in this final section, Paul begins to give us some practical application to everything he said in the first few sections of this book. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore, he starts the whole thing by saying, therefore, in other words, in light of everything that I've said, in light of all the doctrinal content that I've laid out in the first several chapters, here is how you apply it to your life, and here is how you ought to live your life. So we find ourselves in chapter 13. I don't know how many of you have been reading along with this, and I hope you have, but in chapter 13, it appears that, that Paul kind of has two different topics going on. Did you notice that as you were reading? It's like, okay, how are we going to address this? There's two different things. He's talking about the government. He's talking about love and, and our association with both of those. So what does that look like? And as I began to really read and reread and process chapter 13, I discovered it's not really two different topics. It's one topic that's divided into two. So I've titled this morning's message, Oh, Nothing But Love. Because I believe that's what Paul is trying to portray in this chapter of the book of Romans. So take a look at our text this morning. It's found in Romans chapter 13, verse 8. He says, Oh, nothing to anyone. Oh, nothing to anyone. Then he says this, except, except for your obligation to love one another. Well, look at that. That's a different spin on owing something, isn't it? When I first say don't owe anything, you all thought financially, right? That, that's what we think. Financially, I shouldn't owe anybody any money. That's what Paul's getting at. But then he goes on, except for the obligation that you have to love one another. Why is there an obligation? I mean, there's some people that don't deserve my love. Come on, somebody. Right? That's what we think. We'll get to that in a moment. He says, if you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. Now, Romans chapter 13, if really read and processed, is extremely practical in its layout. And that's what I love about the Word of God. If we simply take it to heart, it has the potential. Now, listen to that. It has potential. It's not automatically going to do this. We have some work to do. But it has the potential to change our lives, to reshape us, to reform us into what God has us to be. Now remember, chapter 12, verse 2. Don't be, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your minds. In other words, allowing the Word of God to infiltrate all that you are, all that you do, everything you say, every action that you take. Now in verse 13, he says, don't owe anything to anyone except for the obligation to love one another. So let me ask you this question. What are you doing with the life that God has given you? 
What are you doing with your day in and day out life? Now, I'm not talking about where do you work. I'm not talking about where do you live or, or where do you shop. I'm not talking about those things, but spiritually speaking, what are you doing with your life? Are you making an impact for the kingdom of God? More specifically, are there more people going to heaven now because of you than there were before you existed? Come on, think about that. Are there more people going to heaven now because of the life that you live as a result of what you do? Or are you just going through the motions? Are you just meandering through life? Well, some of you are saying to yourself right now, well, pastor, does that really matter? I can't make any difference. It's kind of like the story of the, the little boy that gets up early in the morning. His family's on vacation, and they're at the beach. And early in the morning, he's going out, and he's walking the shoreline. And every step that he takes, he sees a, a starfish. And there's thousands upon thousands of starfish that had just washed up the night, that night before, and they're all stuck on the shoreline. And one by one, this little boy is, is throwing a starfish back in the water. One, two, three starfishes go into the water. Again, thousands are in front of him. An older man walks up and goes, son, what are you doing? He says, I'm throwing the starfish back in the water. He said, boy, you can't make a difference. There's thousands of them. The little boy reaches down and picks up a starfish. He looks at it for a moment. He throws it back in the water, and he said, I made a difference for that one. And I wonder, how many people are you taking the time to speak into their lives, to make a difference for that one? You see, today, in this moment, somebody in the house could be giving Jesus one more try. Are you ready to place them back in the water? Are you ready to lead them? Paul says, don't owe anything except your obligation to, to love one another. And you say, does it really matter? Can't I just live my life? My response would be this. Yes, it absolutely matters. No, you can't just muddle through life. We're called to walk in step with the Holy Spirit every day of our lives. In fact, in Galatians chapter 5, it says it this way. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. And then there's a very important transitional word. You see, in grammar, in writing, there's transitional words and you've got to really pay attention to them because they're going to lead you where we're going or they're going to remind you of where we've been but in this moment it creates a a cause and effect moment he says let the holy spirit guide your lives that's the cause then there's a transition you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves did you see the cause and effect if we will allow the Holy Spirit to lead our lives, if we will allow the Holy Spirit to be in the driver's seat. For too many years, Christians have said things like this, well, Jesus is my co-pilot. There's your problem. Get out of the driver's seat. Let Jesus in the driver's seat. You go to the passenger seat. He's not your co-pilot. He's your, he's your pilot. Yeah. 
Let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Let the Holy Spirit take the lead in your life. Then the response, the effect is going to be this. You won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. You see, we're called to give God the very best of every aspect of our lives. The problem is we can't do it on our own. I know I can't. The moment I stop allowing the Holy Spirit to take the lead, the moment I stop allowing the Holy Spirit to be in the driver's seat and I try to do it myself, it's kind of like when I was in Austin, if I would have turned off the GPS, I'd still be there today. I'm just telling you. Homie's got no sense of direction. I need somebody in this moment, I need the Holy Spirit to lead my life so that I can do what the Holy Spirit desires. So this morning, I want to look Romans chapter 13. What does it mean when he says, oh, nothing but love? I want to encourage you to take really good notes. You can find those, the paper copies in the back for old school folks like myself. You can go online to the app or to the YouVersion Bible app, and you can find the, the electronic version. But take really good notes this morning. Three directives, three things we must do in living this life with Christ. Three things that we've been called by God to do. Directive number one is this. Learn to submit to authority. Now listen, this is so counter what our culture would say. Right now, culture says, rise up against all authority. Call out all authority. Film everything, post it on social media, make the authority look like a fool. Come on, this has been stirring in our culture for a couple generations now. It started out on sitcoms making the dad look like an imbecile. We're seeing this all the time, but the Bible clearly tells us that we've got to submit to the authority that's in place in front of us. In fact, in Romans chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, right out of the gates, Paul says, everyone, come on, say that with me, everyone. Who does that include? Everyone. I know, it's a pretty profound word, but if you look it up in the original language, the word everyone means everyone. Everyone must submit to governing authority. For all authority, look at that, all, so we have everyone, which is all-inclusive, all of us, must submit to governing authorities. For all, all-inclusive, all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by who? God. By God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. Hmm. And they will be punished. Look at this command. He says, everyone must submit to the governing authorities. Now, he doesn't specify what type of government we're looking at. For us, he doesn't put it into American terminology and say, well, everyone ought to be Republican. Everyone ought to be Libertarian. Everyone ought to be Democrats. Everyone ought to be the Green Party, whatever, fill in the blank. He doesn't say that. Paul doesn't name any form of government. 
Why? Because throughout history, God's people have been involved in so many different forms. We'll talk more about this in a moment. In the Bible, God sets in motion three different institutions. Three places where we've got to respect and, and submit to and honor the authority in front of us. The first area is this, the family. God created the family, listen carefully, before he created governments. Right? Come on, think about this. In the beginning, God created what? Adam and Eve. He didn't create president whoever. <laughs> he created Adam and Eve. That, that's a family. Before government or anything else, God created the family. And at its root, it's the greatest institution. So we are called, God's people, we are called to make the investment in our family. Come on, too often, what do we do? We pawn our family off to somebody else. Well, I got to make the almighty dollar. I understand money makes the world go round. I get it. But your first priority is what are you speaking? Come on, let me talk to the husbands for a moment. What are you speaking into your spouse? What example are you setting for your kids? Are you giving them an example of what a godly father looks like? You see, because we learn one of two things in, in moments, in, in relationships. We learn what to do and what not to do. I would hope and I would pray that my kids learned a whole lot more of what to do because of me. Wives, are you demonstrating to your kids what a godly mother is all about? What a godly wife looks like? See, the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy that we are to share the news of Christ on a regular basis with those in our household, to invest in them, to pray for them, to lead them, to develop them, not to leave this, that responsibility to the public school. Let me take it one step further. Not to leave that responsibility to the church. We have your kids at best an hour and 15 minutes if I preach long an hour and 25 minutes on a Sunday. How many hours do you have them? What are you doing to speak into your family? We're to instill Christian values the very word of God into their lives. You see, the family is the foundation that the society and the culture is built upon. In Mark chapter 6, it says this, but God made them male and female from when? The beginning of creation. The very first institution. We've got to give it the honor and give it the respect and, and utilize the authority that we have in that relationship to its fullest. The second institution that I want to talk about quickly is the church. The Bible says that even before the world was created, God had the church in mind. Come on, think about this for a moment. Before he even said, let there be lights, he had the church in mind. We are called the church. And by the way, we are the church. This 
is the venue that we meet in. Okay, so grab a hold of that. That's very important to understand. This is just a resource, a gathering place. But the New Testament says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the church. We are what the church is built upon. But look at this. We are called not to just come to church on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, but we are called to be the church, to put action to what we learn, to apply the very word of God, to be a doer of his word, and to truly make an impact for the kingdom of God outside of these walls. Again, how many people are going to heaven because of the life that you've lived? See, this is the reason why we support missions. This is the reason why we do outreach like we're going to this Saturday for free, by the way. This is the reason why we impact the schools. This is the reason why we have a convoy of hope truck come in and we bless our community. This is the reason why we're starting churches. Just started Warrensburg. If you're new to Encounter Church, we started our second campus on Easter Sunday, and we've already been in prayer and processing. When are we starting our next campus? What does that look like? Why are we doing this? Because people are lost and dying and going to the devil's hell by the thousands. We've got to make a difference for that one. We've got to do all that we can to be used for the kingdom of God. Ephesians chapter 3 says it this way. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church. To use us. To display his wisdom in riches and its rich variety to all the unseen rulers, authorities in heavenly places. This was his eternal plan. It's never changed. I'm sure there, if, I mean, just be completely transparent real quick. If I was God, there would have been some moments throughout history that I would have looked around heaven and gone, do we have a second choice? Because the church isn't representing me well. Right? Right? But church, it's time for us to step up. It's time for us to make an impact for his kingdom. This is what's his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. He established the family. He established the church. And number three, he established the governments. Again, not just any sort and type of governmental approach, but the concept of authority. The nature of government is part of God's purpose. He established it. Romans 13, 1, everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. In fact, the Bible says that we should take time to pray for the government leaders in authority over us. And I find it interesting on Wednesday evenings, we've got about five different categories of, of things we pray for. We pray for Encounter Church, that God will help us, that God will lead us. We pray for those that are sick in body, whatever that happens to be. We pray for those. We've got one whole list just for those fighting cancer. We pray for cancer. We pray for other needs like um, our, our governments. 
our military. And it's so interesting that the other four are always very easy to hand out because I have different people that are here on the nights. I have them pray throughout the evening for those with everyone else. And it's so interesting that the one that prays for our government is the hardest one to give away. It's the hardest one to find somebody that is willing to pray. Why? Because we see our government in just a spiral downward collision moments. Maybe you think our government's the greatest in the world, and that's, that's just you, that's fine. But I see our government just spiraling downward rapidly. And I have people that'll tell me, well, pastor, I don't want that one because I don't know that I want to pray for them. Okay. But the Bible says clearly that we're to pray for those in authority over us, the political leaders that are over us, regardless whether we agree with them or not. Here's what I find interesting. This is a command from the Word of God. In fact, he says, if you don't do this, there's a second thing we've got to consider. In fact, there's a, a consequence. We talked a moment ago about cause and effect. There's a consequence to the lack of our actions. Romans 13, 2. So anyone, say anyone, anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be blessed mightily, right? Is that what it says? And they'll receive everything they want, right? Is that what it says? No, 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 no. If we rebel against authority, if we rebel against what God has placed in motion, the Bible says we're going to be punished. Well, that doesn't make sense. Because I don't agree with that. I don't agree with this. They're not doing what I desire. They're not doing what I would do. That's irrelevance. We're called to honor. But let me throw this out. Does that mean that if the government wants me to do something that against, that's against God, that I should do that? No, 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 no. See, that's where we've got to understand that we are first responsible to God. Okay, He is our first authority. He's our primary, primary one that we are to respond to. Acts chapter 4 gives us a prime example of this. Peter and John are sharing about Jesus and his resurrection and this did not make the authorities over them very happy. They were instructed to no longer speak about Jesus. So what do they do? Well, Acts chapter 4, verse 19 and 20 says, But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything that we have seen and heard. They said, God is the only one that truly deserves our primary allegiance. Only God deserves our unquestionable obedience. There may be a point in time that you've got to do something, 
that may be an unpopular choice. There may come a point in time that we may have to do things that are even illegal if it doesn't line up with the Word of God. Now, praise God, we're not there. We still live in a nation that says that it's one nation under God. But are we willing to take a stand for the kingdom of God? Are we willing to give Him our ultimate allegiance, our ultimate support? See, the second directive that I see here is, is learn to love as God loves. Paul goes on to talk about not owing anything to anyone except for our obligation to love. In Romans chapter 13, verse 8, we read it on the onset of the message, owe nothing to anyone except for the obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. Why is this important? Why is this an obligation? Why do I have to love people around me? Well, you got to remember, Jesus himself said the greatest commandment, all the commands can be wrapped up into this idea of love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. It all comes down to this. Why are we obligated to love others? Because God first loved me. That while I was yet unlovable, while I was making mistakes, while I was faltering, while I was walking a life of sin, while I was living a life that was spiraling downward very rapidly, Jesus loved me so much that he climbed on the cross of Calvary and gave everything. We are to portray that heart to the world around us. To live the rest of your life, listen carefully, to live the rest of your life for yourself, it's a pretty lonely place. Very self-centered. Truth be told, it's, it's easy to love nice people. Right? It's easy to love polite people, caring people. They're pretty easy to love. And here in our text, Paul says, Own nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. Now, in the Greek, there are two different words for another. One of them means another of the same kind. It's easy to love another of the same kind, right? People that think like you. People that process like you. People that are nice like you. People that are mean like I don't know, whatever you're like. It's easy to love people that are like you. But there's a second Greek word, and this word means this, another of a different kind. Guess which one is used here? That's right, the second one. He's saying, sure, it's easy to love kind people, but what about the people that are different than you? Are you willing to step out and to represent Jesus to love difficult people? We're asked to love those with different temperaments, different backgrounds, different beliefs, different colors, different faiths, different attitudes. 
And Paul says, we have this one debt. Owe nothing to anyone except for this one debt, this one obligation. In fact, he says it's, it's an obligation that you'll never finish paying. It's a debt to love everyone. In Romans 13, 9, he says, For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. And we're good there, right? We're like, oh, those are good rules. Those are good obligations, good things to follow. He says, these and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Some of you have some neighbors that are not necessarily the easiest ones to get along with. He says at the root of all that we do, at the root of the list of things that we should or shouldn't do as a Christian, it's built on this very one, this one particular word, four-letter word, love, L-O-V-E. It truly personifies who God is in our actions, our behaviors, in my responses, my intentions. We're to reflect that love every time. Every time. 1 John 4, God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. That's good news, right? Okay, Pastor Luke and I agree this morning. Praise God. I've got one staff member on my side here. If we live in God, God's love lives in us. That's good news, right? But he goes on in verse 20 to say this. If someone says, I love God. Anybody in the house love God? But if anyone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer. Anybody hate a fellow? No, 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 no. That person is a liar. For if we don't love people who we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? See, we've got to grab a hold of this heart of God. We've got to learn. Why did I say learn to love like God? Because it's not natural. It's opposite of everything that we learn from society from the day we are born until the day we die. Society says it's all about you. Don't worry about anybody else. Step on whoever you need to as you go up that ladder. But God says, no, no, no. Grab my love and owe nothing but that love to people. Our third directive is this. Don't overlook the urgency of influence. Don't overlook the urgency of influence. Verse 11, he says, this is all the more urgent. If I can get a musician up this morning. This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. He's not talking about the hour of the day. He's not saying, man, it's 9.30. It's almost bedtime. I just showed my age there, didn't I? 
He's not saying the time is running out, that the, that the, the moon is rising, the sun has dissipated, and it's time to go to bed. No, no, no. He's saying the time on our earth, the time on this planet is almost done. The coming back of the Lord Jesus Christ is right around the corner. And I wonder how many people are going to heaven because of you. This is all the more urgent. For you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up! For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. He says this command to love those around us, it's not only important, it's vital. It's urgent. Our response is needed. Why? Because people are dying without Jesus. Society outside these walls, they're looking for love and they're missing the mark. Now more than ever before, don't become inactive in your relationship with Christ. There's nothing worse than a spiritually lethargic Christian. Just kind of sit back and, and coast. Now it's time to step up. It's time to wake up to come out of our slumber, to come out of our sleep. If you want to make your life count for anything at all, look for the opportunity. Look for the moments. Become alert in your uh, relationship with Jesus. Don't procrastinate. See, procrastination is one of the biggest enemies of the Christian. We say, well, one of these days, one of these days, I'll get serious about Jesus. One of these days, I'll tell my friends about Jesus. One of these days, I'll get involved in church. Well, guess what? One of these days, you'll be dead. And you've missed the opportunity. I know that's blunt. As I was preparing this morning, that wasn't in my notes, but as I was preparing this morning and I began to look through all of this and I'm processing through it, God laid that up on my heart, the urgency. We're not promised another moment. We're not promised another day. How many people have come to know Jesus because of you? It's time to stop just coming to church. It's time to be the church. It's time to be who God has called us to be. It's time for us to identify the urgency to respond in obedience to what God has laid before us. As John the Baptist said, he must increase. And I must decrease not about Chris. It's not about Angie. It's not about Joe or Luke or anybody else in this room. It's all about Jesus. And I wonder, what are you doing with the life that he's given you? What difference are you making for the kingdom of God? nothing 
かな。